Hey guys, this is JP with you for Sunday's sermon. I want to give you all a bit of a recap before you listen to it here in just a minute. We were looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7-11 through 11 on Palm Sunday. We had a good Sunday, but we were talking about love. That's what John's talking about there. He's given several different kind of tests. And of course, I'm going to talk about that in the sermon. Uh, but as you kind of prepare your heart to actually listen to what we went over Sunday morning. Maybe you're listening because you weren't there. Maybe you're listening just because you didn't quite get all of it when you were there. Either way, that's fine. Glad you're here at the Middle Cross Podcast, where we are about applying all the gospel to all of life. It's what I want to try to do um, every time that I preach is apply the gospel that is in the Word to our lives, where we're at. That's where God has met us, is where we are. He's met us in our sin, and He's given us redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ. But see, John is talking about love here. He's gone from a doctrinal test, uh, he's got a moral test, and then he's here at a social test. And we're talking about loving our brothers and our sisters. And just a bit of a peek into kind of the 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 pastor-preacher side for preparation. This was a hard one to prep for. Not so much because the text was hard. The text itself is not hard to, to understand. It's just one of those that's really hard to actually apply and live out. So I hope it's as beneficial to you as it has been to me, and I pray that the Lord blesses at that time. But an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time of looking at his word. Lord, we ask this morning, Lord, that what we know not, that you would teach us. Father, that what we have not, that you would give us. And what we are not, that you would shape us according to your word, by the power of your spirit, Lord, in the light of your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a bulletin, you'll notice a title this morning is, again, the title of the whole series, Holding Fast. And then the second part to that is The Light of Love. The Light of Love. Holding Fast, The Light of Love. Here John starts talking a whole lot about love. And what we found through this letter so far is that there are particular tests to being a Christian, walking in the light. There's a bit of a doctrinal test of who Christ is. And we saw that in chapter 1 a little bit is John was explaining this is who Christ is and this is who Christ is not. There's a moral test. We see that in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2. Essentially, are you actually acting like you love Jesus? And then as we kind of ease into the rest of chapter 2, there's a social test. All right, Do you believe the right thing? Do you live the right way? But how do you interact with the people around you? Are you loving your brothers and your sisters? And that's where we come to this morning. Now, as we start, though, I want to recognize that today is indeed Palm Sunday. 
And I want to invite you to turn there to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I want to read that passage. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, you may or may not know that the same John that wrote the Gospel of John also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Though he wrote those letters a bit of the latter part of his life. But John chapter 12, verse 12 is where I would like you to turn. And we see here the triumphal entry. This is where Christ entered into Jerusalem. And it was observed as a king of sorts. Verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to feast and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. It goes on, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And so we see this. Christ entered as a king, worshipped as a king. Still the Pharisees are hanging in the background and jeering at Jesus our Lord. I want you to notice over in verse 35, though, still in chapter 12, what is said there. Verse 35, so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so, so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So here we have an interesting story. We've seen that, if you were with us, when we went through the Gospel of John. Maybe if you're in Sunday school, you'll eventually see that as you walk through the gospel there. But the point I want to make as we begin looking at this light of love is that Jesus presented himself as the king, entered into the world as the one who is the Savior. And we, John testifies to that in chapter 1 of his gospel. And yet, and yet, and yet, he was not received. And yet he ended up being crucified. There was a plot to kill Christ. Now, the question ends up being, or rather the, the point of emphasis ends up being, is the sheer amount of love that Christ demonstrated. And that he came to us, that there are many that did not believe and still do not, and yet he still went to the cross that he might accomplish salvation for his own. Amidst the Pharisees, amidst the trial, amidst the cross, and all of it. That is true biblical godly love. Now, as we are here on Palm Sunday and we see this and we see the love of Christ when it's demonstrated and we're coming to the next Sunday, which is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we will celebrate the truth that Christ actually did rise from the dead. 
we look upon him, we say, wow, that's, that's amazing that he did that. But I don't know if I can exhibit that kind of love. And when we read something like this, it's very easy to go, can't believe they did that to Jesus. Lord, how can anyone, how could he have loved them? But if we want to make that a little bit closer to where we are, consider some of the people in your life that are hard to love. Now, if you stand up and say, I love everybody, don't lie in church, y'all, okay? Because you know, even right now, there's probably someone that even as I ask that question, you're thinking about, oh, it's just so difficult. Please don't call me to that preacher. But we need to ask the question. This is the driving question this morning. Lord, how can I love them? Lord, how can I love them? But I want you to notice, though, as we walk through this, that the question's going to change. The question's going to change. Well, see, we have to deal with the problem first, and John helps us with that in verse 9. This is the first thing we want to look at. I want to kind of look at two, two kind of sad things. We need to dig up some dirt in our hearts first. Well, if you notice in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, John's very black and white, isn't he? There's no gray space here. It's either this or it's this. I'm like, come on, give me some wiggle room. Nope. John doesn't do that. Notice in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Sorry, y'all. That's the truth of the matter, isn't it? And all God's people, y'all didn't say amen. Y'all felt it here, didn't you? Oh, still in the darkness. Still in the darkness. The first thing I want us to notice as we do kind of try to dig up some of this hard stuff is this, is, or at least you can gather our thoughts around this statement. Living enlightened, but unloving. Living enlightened, but unloving. That may be where some of us are here this morning. We think we know this, we think we know that, whether it be about the Bible or about Christ, we're actually living a very unloving life. See, that's where a lot of the false teachers were. That's where they were in the context that John was writing to. There were these people called the Gnostics that said, we, we know it, man, we have the knowledge up here, and all the physical stuff doesn't really matter. As long as you kind of know what we know, you're okay. Sound like anyone else? You just got to know what I know. But maybe you don't know what I know. A bit of an arrogant way of living. Now, back then, they actually denied the resurrection of Jesus. They said, no, that's not really what happened. It's all spiritual. He was raised spiritual in your hearts. So they ended up denying that he was touched. You'll notice in the first chapter here, and John starts off, so he doesn't really start with the, hey, it's nice to talk to you. He goes immediately into the truth, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Physical, it's real. Jesus is real. Now, as I say that, it may seem like it's a bit distant from where we are. None of us here would probably deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, how many of us have tried to regulate, restrict the Christian life that we live to just the spiritual part, not actually living it out among our brothers and sisters? Though we may not claim what they claim, we likely may very well live a little bit of what they lived. 
And so it ends up being a question, are you trying to live enlightened but living in loving? Because John doesn't play around with what he says here. It's not just if you do this. He says in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But he goes on and he describes this darkness. John loves the light and the dark. Verse 11, you'll see that hatred blinds holy. That hatred blinds holy. He says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. Again, he, he says it again. He says, oh, and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And this is a very interesting thing about how the light and the dark work in our hearts. And I want to say off the bat that the light that he's speaking of is the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just a light shining randomly. I wonder what he's talking about. It is Jesus that he's speaking of. But have you ever tried to wander through a room with it pitch black? Or maybe you've gotten up in the middle of the night because you had to go here or there and the lights were still off and you had stuff. Maybe you forgot your pathway, right? And you had something extra laying. Or maybe your spouse put something in where you're used to walking. And all of a sudden, what do you hear but a crash, tumble, and you're on the ground? It's difficult to walk in the darkness, isn't it? It's simply not the way that God made things to work. And what John is doing, he's playing on that reality. It's simply the way God made his world. But when there's light, you can see, you can see it all walk clearly. In other words, if you're living with hatred in your heart for other people, specifically for other Christians in your life, those near to you, you are walking in the darkness and you will stumble and fall. That's the reality he speaks of. It simply doesn't work that way. We need the light. We see, the truth is, too, that a lot of Christians live here. This is where we get a little bit more real. A lot of Christians claim we, we live in the light, but we actually live in the darkness because we live unlo unloving and we are blinded by the hatred that's in our hearts. You ever notice sometimes now how it gets difficult in our lives to actually see where God is working, both around us and inside of us? Not always, but quite often, the reason for that is because there's bitterness and hatred in our hearts that has indeed blinded us to actually see where he's working in his love. What, that's, what that ends up meaning is that sometimes it's not as so much the circumstances on the outside that's the problem is what we're doing and whether or not we're taking responsibility on the inside. Christ has commanded us to love. And so here is our problem, kind of the, from the very beginning. Are we living, trying to live enlightened, but living unloving in our lives? And are we completely blinded, wholly blinded by hatred in our hearts? Now, if you're still this morning saying, no, that's not me, that's not me at all, I'm, I'm never, I've never been there. We might need to do a little bit more hard work. But here in a minute, it's going to come the good news. And I want to remind you of that question we started off with. Lord, how can I love them? Lord, how can I love them? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been offended in your life? Absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes more so than you wish, right? And that's usually the case because no one likes that, do we? 
Well, what ends up happening when you have that offense? It's usually quite difficult to get over it, especially if it's given by someone who's near to us, right? It's not easy, this forgiveness, this love that he speaks of. But this love is what we need to start to define and describe and understand. And so here's the third thing this morning. The first one was living enlightened but unloving. What we hope to get to is, number three, this, living in the light of love. Living in the light of love. Now let's jump back to the beginning, verse 7 here. I want you to notice, too, how he speaks of, or simply to the people, to the church he's talking to. This letter was written to Christians specifically, so he says in verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing no new commandment. Notice that simple word, beloved. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, it's very easy for us to go, man, these authors, they were just super Christians, aren't they? I mean, this was the Apostle John, right? Who else is like the Apostle John? If you remember, that's why the Bible is so wonderful. There was James and John, and yes, that's that John. If you remember over in Mark, who were they actually called when they were walking around under Christ? But the sons of thunder. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I hear sons of thunder, what I think of is two rascals that just like to go after everything, right? Which was the case. Fiery, just balls of fire, passionate, wherever they went. John was one of those guys, to the point that actually... uh, there was a community that wasn't doing what he thought that they should be doing, and he was hoping that fire would come from heaven in order to smite them. That's the kind of son of thunder he was. They're not obeying, so they need to. They need to take the payment. So I don't want, when we read this, go, well, that's just John. No, he was redeemed too. From a son of thunder to this dearly loved and sharing love, Kind of way of living. Now I resonate with John in that because I feel like that's where I can be sometimes. I want to see the righteousness across the way, but I forget to actually apply it in my own life and in my heart. And so there's hope as he speaks of this love. He is exemplifying it. He is living it out. He says, Beloved, the beginning of chapter two, he says, My little children, right? All of these things. He's so Dearly passionate. What is it that he actually says? Notice what verse 8 or verse 7 and 8 says. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandments, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And then he says the old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Okay, John, which is it? Right? Which is it? It's both. It's both. When he says, I'm writing to you, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. He's talking about half from the beginning in God's word, specifically back in Deuteronomy 6, 5, right? The Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Christ phrases it as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it, love your neighbors as yourself, right? We know this to be true. We have This is testified to in the scriptures. But we also find this loving your neighbor in Leviticus 19, verse 18. It is in the law. 
already been commanded. That's what he's speaking of. You've heard this before. You know the law. This is nothing new. Now, it ends up being very interesting, and the likely the reason he's actually saying this here is because the false teachers, the Gnostics, saying, where's John getting this stuff? We, we don't need what John's talking about over here. Let's, let's go along with what we're talking about. John comes back and says, no, 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 this isn't anything new, y'all. It is, but it isn't. This goes all the way back to the Levitical law, to love your neighbor. What ends up happening in the way in which it actually is new is that now it's not just in the law, but the law is exemplified as living out in the person of Jesus Christ. You notice the beginning of John's gospel in chapter 1, kind of the end of chapter 1, John talks about the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And then the beginning of Hebrews, right? We have heard from the prophets and those of old, but now we have heard of Christ Jesus. He is the word. And so he says from the beginning, from the beginning of being a Christian, their whole walk. We know this to be true because when he gets to verse 12 through 14, he starts talking about where these Christians are in terms of their spiritual growth. But notice the second sentence, the old commandment is the word which you have, that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. And this is an amazing part because it's not just true in what the law had to give to us, which God did indeed give to his people. It was true outside of their hearts. If you remember the promise in the Old Testament, he will write his law on what? On their hearts. How is that possible? How is it possible to get the truth of what God has spoken out here inside of the darkness of our hearts in here? There's a great barrier. What do we do with that? Notice that little phrase there, which is true in him and in you. Takes us back to Romans 6 where we have been buried with Christ Jesus and also raised to life in Christ Jesus. When we trust in Christ and it's by faith and faith alone, what ends up happening is we are brought into the work that he has accomplished. And as we are brought into the work that he has accomplished, we can then claim for ourselves what it is that now he has with the Father and with the Spirit, and that is love. If you notice later in the gospel, later in this letter of John, he says, God is love. How is it that God is love? Except for he is three in one, and there is love between each of those persons and has been in eternity past and also eternity future. What happens when we trust in Christ is that we are brought into that love. And now what was just in God is now in us. That's how we love. And so he speaks of this living in the light of love, but he, he's not over, it's not over with yet. He says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And man, I wish I could spend some time actually reading or, or actually digging more into this and us explaining this. See, we, we need to read our Bibles a lot better sometimes than we do. And I'm guilty of this as well. There's a lot of thought and a lot of talk today 
that things are just going to get worse. Things are just going to get worse. And that's what you hear all the time, isn't it? We just had tornadoes that ran through, nearly ran through here, just down the road. Others likely we know of specifically that have been impacted by it. There's just a shooting in Nashville Covenant School. And I'm sure within the next few weeks, there's probably going to be next month, there's probably going to be something else that's bad. What ends up happening sometimes when we lose perspective of the reality of the gospel and what's in his word is we begin to take on what the world says about the things that we believe. Well, it looks like it's just getting worse and worse and worse. So I guess things are just getting worse and worse and worse. But I want you to notice the tense in which this is said. Which is true in him and in you because this is the reason. John's saying, here is why I claim this. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's as though what he does here, he gives us a glimpse. And this is what John is so good at when you read the John's Gospel of chapter 1. Is giving us good theology, good doctrine. He gives us a glimpse into the timeline of what God is doing. And he uses light and dark to illustrate it. It says, there has been darkness in your heart, but this true light, it is here. It is coming near. He doesn't say, well, it has been, and now it's just going to get worse. But it is indeed also already shining. And where is it shining? It's shining in you, Christian. It's shining in you. You remember the song, This Little Light of Mine? As kids, what are you going to do with it? Come on, y'all be more excited than that. You're going to let it shine, right? By what power do you go forth and let it shine? Do you think that's, do you have it? Is it sufficient in you? No, it's not. So where does that come from? The light of love that's set in our hearts when we trust in Christ Jesus. So he speaks of living in the light of love. This is most perfectly illustrated, though, in John 13. Let's simply go there, and then we'll get to our last part this morning. John chapter 13, because Jesus actually illustrates what we are talking about. Okay. Say, this is great. I understand I may not be as loving as I should. That Jesus is very loving and John is loving too. But how do I live it? Well, John chapter 13, they're still in the upper room. Him, Jesus Christ, and his disciples. What we find is an amazing act of love. He says in verse 12, in chapter 13, When he had washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, as we read this, it doesn't mean we're fixing to have a feet washing time or y'all have to go do that. Now, some of us might, but that's neither here nor there, right? 
What's he getting at? Christ is saying, I want you to notice how low I stooped. In that context, they would have worn sandals wherever they went. And so there would have been their feet whenever they entered into a place were absolutely filthy. And generally what would take place is a servant would wash. The servant of the house would wash those, those people's feet as they entered so that it would be cleaned. And they, of course, go to the next place and things like that. There was a servant here. Jesus stooped to that place. Now, if you remember who Christ is and who, who John has said Christ is, right? There's seven I am statements. Those I am statements are him saying, I am God. I am the God man. And so we have Christ up here. That's absolutely amazing. And then we see this illustration. We say, but he washed their feet. He stooped down that far. He essentially, before he got to the cross, he was already dying to himself before the ones whom he loved. This is the example of love that we are to follow. And he says this as well. Verse 31 of chapter 13, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. That's a lot of language about essentially Christ being glorified at the cross. But then notice this next phrase. Little children. Yet a little while, while I'm with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. But notice it doesn't stop there, and this is how it's new. We have the old old truth, the law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But he says, just as I have loved you, you are also, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, how much love do you have for those around you? So now let's dig into some hard stuff and then we'll actually conclude. I know y'all still probably want your fresh chicken, so I'm not going to hold you too long. Here's the last thing. Love sees straight. Love sees straight. Back in First uh, John chapter 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Again, black and white. John doesn't give us any wicker room. But notice how he describes this, again, with the light and with the love he speaks of. Again, whoever loves his brother, brother, sister, it's whoever's near you in your life. But specifically here, he's talking about the context of just the local body of believers as they gather. Do you love those Christians around you too? And see, from there is, when, is how we're able to actually love others outside of that. Because there's already love between us. So what's he say? Abides in the light, living in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. We're going to unpack that, but just as we do, I do want to ask us to ask this question. Okay, we see this. He says, love his brother. We understand we need to love more, all that stuff. What do we do with it? 
we probably are asking the question, how? Or at least we should be. Okay, preacher. Okay, John. How do we do this? Because I don't know about you, but I don't know if he had who I have near me. They're really hard to love, right? Have you ever wondered if maybe you're that person too? Yeah. So how? How is it that love actually opens up our eyes to see more clearly as well? Remember, hate blinds holy. Love sees straight because it sees by the light of Christ. Because you see, because, because love sees by the light of Christ, it ends up being most perfectly demonstrated on the cross. What do you imagine the apostles saw when they saw the cross? Right? Still, as that old hymn says, the emblem of suffering and pain. What do you think they saw when they saw him being whipped and the blood running down his back? When he was offered that vinegar solution? When he was hanging there having to push himself up in order to breathe? When they saw a tomb? When they saw him put on trial. If they're not looking by the light of love, then what they're going to take from it is simply what they see at face value. God is lost. Salvation's not won. See, the light of love actually paints a different story because we see past just the immediate circumstances and we see what is to be gained. And it's not just a life, but it's life eternal. It's not just a little bit of love, but it's the love in the Godhead. It cannot be changed. It does not go away. It's the forgiveness of sins for the people of God. See, that's what Christ saw. That's why he went forth and went to the cross. And so as they see that, imagine what they saw when the tomb was empty. And all of a sudden, they go, no, he was, he was right. What he said is true. This is love. He didn't just wash our feet, but he paid the price, ultimately. Alistair Begg puts it this way as he's talking about love because he still want to answer the question, okay, preacher, how do I do this? He says, the first thing we have to do if we want to live out Christian love is get downright realistic about things. Now, I don't know about y'all, but those people close to you, there's, isn't it, isn't it always just perfect, right? Everybody said, amen. Yeah, it's always just hunky-dory. Right? How does it usually go? Man, you're just so getting on my nerves, but I love you. Okay? That happens, doesn't it? We're lying if we say it doesn't. I want you to notice the nature of those relationships when they're saturated with the gospel. All right, what did Paul say? But by grace, but, or but for grace, there go I. Right? All that we have is supplied by the grace of Christ Jesus. You notice when those relationships, whether they be in the church, whether it be in marriage, whether it be in those friendships, whatever it may be, are saturated with the gospel, that bridge that is the relationship is undergirded by the resurrection of Christ. And it's able to hold so much more than you ever imagined. 
And what ends up happening is you're able to actually have those honest conversations to lay everything out and then to come back together in love because that bridge is sufficient to hold it all. But see what happens when you don't rely on that bridge. It falls through. And you end up with stories like, oh, I love another woman. But they just don't love me. That's not love. That's selfishness. See, what you notice here is that it's not so much about the feeling of love that he speaks of. It's about the actual choice to die to oneself and give to those around you. That's what Christ did. And this is a hard, so hard lesson to learn that we likely keep learning over and over again. In other words, what Alistair Begg calls it is Christian loyalty. It's what love ends up being. And then John MacArthur says this. He says, if you love people, you're not going to stumble into sins against them. In other words, he's explaining what John says here. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. What does he mean? If you love people, you're not going to stumble into sins against them. The more love that's in your heart through learning who Christ is, through saturating in his word, the less likely you're actual you're to fall into hurting someone around you. But you have you ever noticed that sometimes we walk around like we're wearing not like we're wearing pillows. <laughs> no, like we're wearing some a suit with shards of glass on the outside. Everywhere we go we hurt somebody. So what I what do I do? How do I get rid of this? Walk in the light. Now, where does it actually begin, though? It begins with understanding how much you've been forgiven and how much you're loved. You cannot love those around you until you have seen that. You can't forgive them around you until you actually admit also that they have sinned against you and then forgive them, but primarily that they they have sinned against God and that you have as well. Because you see, what the world does not understand is reconciliation. Have you ever come back together with someone near and dear in your life after you've had a disagreement, after things seem to have fallen away, and then you come back and both offer forgiveness? How is that possible? Do you think it's really because you're so wonderful? (laughs) I know where I am too. No, it's not. It's because it's a glimpse of the gospel that's being lived out. Grace offered where there should be none. Forgiveness made clean when there should be nothing but darkness and dirt on our hearts. And so, all of this is founded in the cross. We started off with, Lord, how can I love them? I want to offer to you this, though, that that's the wrong question. It's a selfish question. It's not, Lord, how can I love them? We hope to get from that to this, Lord. How can it be that you love me? See, if we're so cons- if we're so consumed with not receiving love from other people, the likely issue is that we've forgotten how much He actually loves us. 
Where do you go? You go back to the cross, Christian. That's where we go. We'll conclude on this. John chapter 12. Right before John 13, some very interesting things take place. The end of John chapter 12, verse 44 through 46. John said this, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Do you know that love of Christ? I asked this morning. If you don't, maybe it's time to give your life to him. But if you're a Christian and you've heard this and you've listened this thus far, you still be asking, oh, how do I love others? How do I love others? Two simple things we can walk away with this morning. We'll pray. We need to die to self as Christ died to himself. To give up ourselves entirely. Number two, live to God where you are. Sometimes we as Christians say, well, I need to get away from where I'm at in order that I can actually live as though I should. The reality is God has you where he has you for a reason. What he's likely calling you to do is to stay where you are and then live out the gospel to him where you are. That's what we're called to as Christians. And I pray that we, as we're challenged to do it, will lean on Christ to give us the strength that we need in order to actually follow through. Let's pray.